Hey, my friend, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. My name is Joe Bakmutsky, and listen, if you're here, if you're listening to this, then one way or another, cancer is already a part of your life. But you're not alone. We're here for you. And here we talk about better ways of dealing with life after cancer. We talk about how to tackle it mentally, socially, physically, emotionally, on every single level. And today we've got a truly special guest today. We're talking to Alan White. Alan uses his experience of you know going through prostate cancer <laughs> twice to really share some incredible advice and inspiration on dealing with cancer. Let's check it out. Alan, welcome to the Simplify Cancer Podcast. So great to have you here. Thank you for inviting me, Joe. It's good to be here. So, Alan, what I want to start with is, what was life like before cancer? What was life before cancer? Well, uh, let's see. There's a bit of a story, as you know, that, but I guess before any diagnosis, uh, I was busy. Uh, it's actually living in Orby, Wodonga at the time and studying at university at, up there at... Uh, in Wodonga at Latrobe, and then I had a couple of medical issues, I guess, for want of a better word, and basically involved an operation on the bladder to remove a growth over the neck. And um, in that process of that operation, they discovered I had some sort of precancerous cells, but there wasn't much anything else going on. So the blood test was pretty low. So I was busy with study. I then moved back to Melbourne, uh, continued studies. And that was, um, yeah, pretty busy. I mean, study full-time. I wasn't working at the time. I was in a relationship. And then I'd realised I'd left or missed a blood test. So I guess it wasn't in the state of my mind. I was focused on uni, which unfortunately fell over for all sorts of reasons. And when I wasn't focusing on cancer. I wasn't focusing on ill health. I was reasonably fit. Had no reason to be otherwise. Um, had a small hearing issue from being in Vietnam, but... Uh, life was busy. I wasn't playing much sport, unfortunately, but I was running and walking regularly, so there was nothing else happening. And then, of course, the diagnosis comes out of left field, and um, I was pretty angry at the time. I wasn't expecting it, put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what was the first thing that kind of just, you know, went through your mind on that day when, um, when I guess, you were found out that you have cancer? Oh, well, look, that was the initial one was back in 2000. Uh, it was a phone call, if I can remember, because it's nearly 20 years ago. So pretty angry, angry, pissed off. Um, wouldn't say blank. I was just very angry that I maybe somehow had dropped the ball. And I wasn't sure how I'd done that regarding my health. So as I say in my book, I um, was home the time and I was getting dinner. So I opened a bottle of red, put on some rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that really helped the situation, but it was too, seemed a good idea at the time. Uh, yeah, I looked pretty angry for a while because I was wanting to work out how I was going to deal with it because um, at that time in 2000, prostate cancer was we take out the prostate straight away. And as far as I was concerned, that was not going to happen. I needed to look at as many options and look at other ways of dealing with the situation. Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's really powerful. So what's made you go, no, I need to work things out. I need to make my own decisions. I need to make up my mind as to which way I want to go. Because I think the natural inclination for most of us is to just kind of go with the flow because we don't know any other way. 
Yes, and I think that I believe a lot of that depends on one's own individual background insofar as what even what work you're involved with. So for me, because of my background in nutrition and natural therapies and Reiki, I felt there was another way of dealing with it. It didn't sit right with me to go and lose my cherry, as I call it, having that background, not having utilised other information to, to find some way to deal with this rather than going, yes, it's a fait accompli, it's going to come out and then get on with it. I wanted to do something else. And having said that, what I did may not work for other blokes. That's important. That, yeah, everyone's an individual. And just because I did X doesn't mean it's going to work for Y. Yeah, exactly. But I think what's really powerful here, and this is I'm a big um I'm a big supporter and big believer in this is that, yeah, not everyone has to do the same thing, but everyone has to really work out what's going to be right for yourself and for your way of life, whatever that looks like for you, but you really have to become, you know, prepared and informed and understand exactly what's going on so that you can make decisions that are going to suit uh, yourself and your way of life. And I really believe that when, you're in a place where you make your own decisions. You have, you feel like you have more control over what's going on. Would you agree with that? Oh, yes, I, definitely. And certainly in this day and age, the pendulum has swung to the other side where there's too much information for blokes or for anybody, depending on the disease you're dealing with. We're talking about cancer. Some cancers, there's only one approach. There's no multiple choices. And I can only speak about prostate cancer, obviously, where especially if it's low-risk prostate cancer and you're a candidate for what's called active surveillance, you've got really six or seven choices. So the men and their partners need to be informed about the decision-making process, and that creates a lot of stress from as well because most men may not even know they've had a prostate and not expecting this. It's out of left field, and they have no medical information or don't know much about that area. So it creates a lot of stress as, you know, as far as making a decision, let alone I've got six decisions and I even know which, which one's going to work for me. So sometimes I think if you've got a cancer and there's only one solution, it's a lot easier. Then you go and find out what's going to happen following that. Whereas the prostate cancer, I've got six or seven and they've all got their own outcomes and I don't know which one's going to suit me. Yeah, exactly. Alan. And I think it's like you say, you really, you are completely unprepared when like just cancer just explodes into your life because you never see it coming and you know, uh, whatever cancer that is, I, I believe like you, it, it just, it, it's always comes out of nowhere. Like we, I think intellectually, we know that it can happen, but when <laughs> yeah. it, it just happens to you, right? Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a huge difference. So Alan, did you, you know, I, I know we spoke about this earlier and obviously you went through this experience, certainly spoken and see lots of men who go through cancer. What do you think is different about men who go through cancer? Do we have different needs? Do we look at things differently? Um, I think everyone does look at it differently. Some may be looking for a reason insofar as, well, it's in the family, therefore I've got it. Or I don't want to know about it and don't talk to me about prostate cancer because it's all too hard. And some men do go looking for information. Others want assistance in sorting through what they're going to do. And for most men, not everyone, but most men, if they've got a problem, there's got to be a solution for it and to fix it. So the men need to fix something. And I guess if there's no way of fixing it easily, it becomes more difficult. So that creates, again, a lot of anxiety, um, 
can drive men into depression, particularly following the uh, treatment. So men certainly deal with it differently. Some will go Googling, and most people would probably do that anyway. And then you get too much information because you don't know which is right and which is wrong, basically. So I only point men in the way of where they would get medically evidence-based information and then sorting out, I guess, what they want to do about the treatment and, and being able to handle the, um, the treatment as well. Yeah, and I'm so with you on this idea that we have to fix something, that, that, <laughs> there, that there must be a solution. We must do something and then the problem is just going to go away. And, and unfortunately, it's not always like that when it comes to cancer. It's usually multi-layered. There's all these pros and cons and, you know, things that, you know, can kind of work against you or, or you have to make all of these decisions. So we really need so much support, don't we, like to go to go through this uh, what about people in your life, like uh, your friends, uh, your family, maybe people you worked with? Did they support you in the way that you wanted to be supported? Well, I, I suppose my case is a bit of an anomaly, Joe, because as I said, it was back in 2000 and the time I was working at a major hotel. Well, I work at the Hilton on the Park at the time. So that initial diagnosis and me then pushing back and looking to ways to deal with it, there was support within the, the framework of the people I work with immediately. And certainly my partner at the time was supporting me. Um, I told my family, but uh, families are all deal with their own way. So once I got over it and was able to push back and handle it my own way, there was a lot of support around that. Then fast forward to 2010, 11, when the prostate cancer came back and it was aggressive, I was in a different space. I was working on my own. It was a bit of a bit of a strange one. I uh, well, when I say I was working on my own, I was working in a clinic part time. There certainly was a lot of support when I eventually told them what was going on. And um, I guess the you know, things have changed for me in relationships. And uh, then my wife, then who I you know, married back in two thousand eight, she was very concerned that it would spread. So she wanted to see me have it out. And again, I pushed back for a while, but when it was discovered it was aggressive, then we had to make that hard decision around whether it was going to be surgery or radiotherapy. So I guess the circle for me then was smaller. And I did ring friends up to tell them because I didn't want them to find out after the fact, because I think people get a bit pissed off when they hear that something's happened and you haven't told them. That's my understanding. So I went through that process of telling people I knew and they were very supportive again. But I felt I was in control, for want of a better word, of making the decision around what treatment I was going to have. And one good friend said, oh, are you going to do active surveillance again? I said, well, no, I can't this time because it's aggressive. So I've got to bite the bullet on this one. So that was unfortunate for me. I didn't expect it to come back. So there was support, but it was smallly close-knit. I didn't go around telling every man his dog about it because then <laughs> I might be seen as you know, looking for sympathy or something. It felt a bit weird because I felt like, couple of times of ringing people up, I felt like I was telling them I'd won Tats Lotto <laughs> in a strange sort of way. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why is that? Yeah, what? <laughs> won what? Prostate cancer. Well, that's, yeah, okay. <laughs> Fun way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, excellent. I'm so glad to hear that you really did people come out to support you in a way that was meaningful for you because I know that's, that's, that's not always the case. So you've had this experience not only kind of going through it the first time and, and having that diagnosis but also when it came back you know aggressively that was another kind of layer of experience where you know it's uh, you, you really didn't see it coming 
round back and, and, and getting you there. So you, you've had a lot of ground to cover in terms of that experience. Is there anything when you kind of think back on this and reflect over things that have happened, hmm. but your experience of, of dealing with the cancer over your whole journey, is there anything that you could have done differently just to make it easier for yourself, you know? You mean the, after the DS when it came back or prior to that? Just just overall, those things overall? that just helped you to deal with it, um, I guess, just mentally, emotionally, physically, j- just ways of, ways of coping? Oh, okay. All right. I guess, well, I spent the intervening 10 years, I was having issues for all sorts of reasons, so I would take myself off to the veterans uh, counselling service, being a Vietnam veteran. So, And because I have a background in counselling, I re- realised I needed to do that from time to time. So that, I think, kept me on track dealing with other stuff that was going on in my life. But when the cancer hit, I, um, in the first 12 months following the operation, I eventually took myself back to the counselling service to get my head around the surgery and the physical effects on me and the mental and emotional and the sexual effects that was having me. I was thinking I, well, I thought I could handle it, but realized, you know, 10 months down the track following surgery that I wasn't handling it as well as I thought I was. And that, I often, Fiona and I would speak a lot about what was going on for us and we were dealing with that. But for me, there was some other monkey on the shoulder, for want of a better word, sitting there that I couldn't get my head around. So I realized I need to get my head around working out what was going on internally. I couldn't put a finger on it. It took a couple of sessions to have a realisation about what was driving that. So that was interesting for me. So I feel for men, as I say in my talks, if you are finding it's difficult and you it's difficult to get your head around what's happened to you with regarding the diagnosis or what's going to happen in surgery, You've got to take care of yourself, certainly physically and emotionally. And if it means seeking assistance, there is nothing wrong with that because you'll then have a better outcome overall. You can look after yourself physically. Look, and some blokes just get on with it, Joe. They um, they get fit and uh, they get on with their life. It doesn't affect them. Then everyone's different. It depends, I guess, how in touch the individual is with their own sense of self and how they approach the diagnosis and then the following the treatment. And... From what I've seen of men having uh, been involved with Peter Mack here in Melbourne with their pre-information surgery afternoon, most walk in looking like rabbits caught in the headlights. But once that session's finished along with the urology nurse, they're a lot more relaxed. You get a sense, okay, now I know what's going to happen and some of the things I'm expecting. But also I will say to them, if you are not handling this really well, I strongly suggest you consider getting some assistance, whether at the council psychologist or utilised in the hospital services, just so you can get over that hump so that your life becomes back to some sort of sense of normality, whatever that may be. So, and I think Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think it's almost weird if people react to it in a normal way because it's, I mean, if you react normally to cancer, then what, like there's nothing that can throw you off at all, you know? So yeah. <laughs> I think yes. you really... It's something that, to me, it's the, like it's just the most natural thing in the world to acknowledge that, uh, you know, this massive thing is happening and, you know, we need all hands on deck to really try to deal with it. And yes. that, that comes to, you know, as having your people on board to support you, finding out as much information as possible to really make decisions that are going to be right for yourself when it comes to treatment. Uh, also getting the support, you know, both, you know, physically and mentally, you know, like uh, doing the right exercise, doing the right nutrition to maybe prep 
yourself up for operational, for recovery. Uh, but also, look, going to see a psychologist or also going to... and Because there's, there's nothing... I think it doesn't occur to us to go to see a psychologist or a counselor because we're like, oh, yeah, like it's cancer. It's supposed to be hard. <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't hard. have to be that hard. <clears throat> no, it but doesn't. it doesn't have to be that hard, right? And, and, and also from being connected to folks who go through similar kind of experience, you know, I know uh, support groups is something that you believe in so much. I'm a huge believer in support groups, whether that's online or in person, because again, it, it's, it's people who go through the same sort of experience as you have, and it's an opportunity to feel normal, right? Yes, it, yes, it creates some sort of sense of <clears throat> normality, if that's going to be called that, because men can often, well, anyone with a cancer diagnosis will feel isolated. And I've come across men who aren't in relationships of any description, may or may not have family close, and they're doing it on their own. So I personally don't know how they get through that, particularly if they live in regional areas. And I've said to those blokes, you know, make sure you get onto your council, see what home help you can obtain. Uh, look, seek out support, but everyone's different, of course. But yes, it's uh, it's whatever it is, <clears throat> look for help because it does help to normalise and you're not the only one who's dealing with it. And you often get to hear how other people deal with a similar situation. You get some tips and also from the experience of the support groups I'm involved with, it's, a, it's often a bit of fun and laughter and um, joking around. So it's brings the sense, yeah, like that word you said, normality into life. And yes, we've got this stuff going on, but there's other things in life as well. I I don't think one should be um, determined just because of the cancer diagnosis that that becomes your identity. And I often said to people, I don't have the prostate cancer, my prostate does. So I found that <laughs> my prostate does, it's not me. <clears throat> so that to me of, um, I wouldn't, well, a sense of, distancing myself from it it's just the prostate just one little part of me it's not my whole body of course it can go walk about but that was the way i found a way of dealing with it i guess um everyone's got a different way of dealing with it yeah yeah that's a great way of looking at it like it's it's something that is separate you know i think for me it was um it was almost uh, it was almost the opposite of that that really made the difference for me mm. it was the reality when i realized you know what this thing is a part of my life right now and I'm going to deal with it. And I'm, and I'm going to, you know, make it a part of my life. And I almost, you know, I wrote out a, an, an agreement that I made. <laughs> I made a deal and I said, listen, I know you're here. You're, you're part of my life for now, but the plan is for you to go away. So <laughs> let's make a deal that we're going to leave each other alone. I'm going to live my life and hopefully you'll be on your way out. So I making a deal with cancer, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, people often worry with over the cancer they get that it has gone walk, as I call walkabout, and that's an interesting way of dealing with it so far as it, yes, it could be elsewhere. So, yeah, drawing up an agreement, whatever way of finding yourself, it gives a sense of control again that <clears throat> you're not in the hands of the medicos and I can't do anything. Well, yeah, there are things you can do like you've done, Joe. You've got this agreement. You're over here and I'm here and we'll just leave each other alone and <laughs> get on with our lives. So it's a, <laughs> a good way of approaching. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alan. And listen, I know that for, I, I think it's fair to say that for every person who's um, gone through cancer in, in uh, one way or another, you know, we have this worry of cancer coming back or coming back in a more aggressive way what is some of the advice that you have on that front because I know, I know that for me that probably comes up 
probably about a week or two weeks before I do all my checks. Um, mm. What's what's your advice in dealing with it? Well, I guess for, for blokes who are being diagnosed and have the surgery, um, or if I'm giving talks, I'll say, and this is a bit of a tap on the shoulder maybe for you to look at your life, how you've been living it up to now, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally. And look, <clears throat> I'm going to go out there. A lot of blokes are carrying weight, <laughs> and that's been implicated to a degree in prostate cancer. But having said that, I've seen a lot of blokes who have had prostate cancer and certainly weren't overweight. So that's just one part of the jigsaw. But I say to blokes, once you've been diagnosed and have the treatment, maybe it's time to get back on track with your health and well-being, as you said, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally. That doesn't mean it may not come back, but I guess is to focus on your health and well-being and, and look on what you've got to do to, to keep yourself healthy and not be too focused on what may come back because that, to me, I mean, there's another level of getting to come back, I guess. And for some blokes, it does come back in the first five to ten years, well, first five years, once treatment. And I guess it's taking control again. What treatments are you going to be dealing with? What can you do to keep yourself on that track of the treatment? What else can you do to support yourself through it? So it's a matter of refining what you want and how you're going to deal with it, not let it become your day-to-day bugbear. Yes, I've got prostate cancer, or now come back, or it may come back. Well, it may or may not. You don't. It's an unknown. It's no. There's no guarantee. I guess that's what I say to folks. But whatever treatment you pick and whatever you're working through, and focus on that, and not focus on everything else. All the what ifs, but the what ifs could be anything. Yeah, so true. It's where, it's where you put your attention. And yes. speaking of where you put your attention, <laughs> I know that you wrote a fantastic book. Uh, it talks about how to deal with cancer. How did that come about? Oh, look, in the early days, in fact, it was while I was laying in hospital, Joe, that my head was full of emotions and thoughts. In fact, I think it was, when I think back, I think it was actually the fuse had been blown to a point, but I was also aware of what had just happened. There was two parts of my brain functioning, all these emotions and feelings in one part and the other part feeling like overloaded but not knowing what's going to happen next. I guess the realisation took a while to kick in. And then when I came home and uh, dealing with a catheter and very a lot of fatigue for me particularly, it was a lot of fatigue, a lot of tiredness dealing with that. And over the, I guess, within a, I, I went, within a month or two, I had this sense I had to write something down because my brain was just full of thoughts and feelings and emotions and not knowing what to do with them. So I just started writing in a, in a uh, fool's cap thing and maybe with a thought of maybe turn into a book I wasn't sure but I just had to get it out of my system and the, as I went on through the following months I felt yeah there might be something I can write a book about for blokes who may not be aware of the um, side effects of what may or may not happen for them I felt I had some authority now to write about it. even though I've been doing active surveillance for 10 years I didn't feel I had the authority to write about that but now I you know jumped the fence I felt I could put something down and then work on how I would pull it together down the line. So eventually, August, September 2011, I eventually sat down. It was a bit of a, a hurdle to get over. Okay, now I need to put it, you know, in on the computer rather than just, you know, 20 pages of scribble and pull that together. So that was an interesting process for me in making blokes more aware that they may or may not be informed about. But everyone's different again. I often say, look, everyone will respond different to the treatments, but these are the things you may need to be aware of. But also there's a bit of humour. I've got little cartoons in it as well, so it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's the powerful thing about 
your book, and I think just connected with another person's experience, is that while we all have different things that happen to us, while we all have you know unique experiences, yet at the same time, knowing that you're not alone and connecting to someone else's story makes you think about yourself, makes you think about your journey, makes you reflect and go. Even in the differences, you find other things that are more meaningful and, you know, we find that connection. I think that just makes, it definitely makes life easier. And, and I think that's what resilience is about, isn't it? You look, you're correct about that, about reading books and <clears throat> thinking, well, I'm, I'm not doing that bad after all. So much worse off than me, you know, like uh, you're right about that. Having said that, I've read, flicked through some books in the past and, felt they skimmed across some things, but because that person writes that book for their whatever reason, once you've written the book, it's gone. You can't control that. But I guess um, without big noting myself, I've had feedback that people were really glad to have received the book and read about stuff that they've also encountered and thought they were on their own or what they maybe have to deal with or didn't know was going to happen and then discovered it by, you know, after the uh, event and didn't know it was going to happen. So they didn't feel like I'm the only one who experienced it. And I'm weird. Oh, actually, someone else has had this experience, and I'm not so weird now. And this is normalising again, whatever normal may be. But I guess it takes some of the anxiety out of this is going to happen, or it may not happen. Oh, these are the things I can do that might help me get me through it. So it's, I guess I wouldn't say it's a self-help book because everyone is different. You can't go off and do X, Y, and Z. It's just keeps them informed and getting them ready for the event. So pre-warned is pre-armed, I guess, um, is one way of looking at it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, I, I know you do so much work, you know, in, in, with your talks and uh, support groups and, of course, with your book, which, uh, of course, is making, you know, a, a big difference out there for, for blogs who go specifically with prostate cancer. So tell me, Alan, how does it help you and yourself or how does it make you look in the world, the fact that you really are making, you know, a difference, you know, in a way that is really meaningful for you? Well, that's, that's interesting because at some point during the year, Joe, I thought I started to feel like I was starting to um, ruminate a bit around what had happened to me, which I did for a while in the first 12 months, if I can backtrack, and those first 12 months and a bit after, when I went back a couple of times, I, I was... I had a bit of decisional regret insofar I was giving myself a hard time. I felt I hadn't really taken care of myself. So with the, uh, the counselling service, we worked up um, a couple of little statements for myself around that I had made the decision at the time with the information I had. It was right for me. And that helped me get over that hump of ruminating and going all about the what is, which don't help anyone doing that. So I often say to men, once you've made that decision and got all the information, that's the one you're going to go for, then focus on that, like you said, Joe, and put everything else aside. Don't go Googling anymore. You'll just drive yourself crazy. So during the year, I went, oh, do I want to keep doing this? Because I feel like I'm getting a bit caught up in the whole prostate cancer and, and all the stuff that goes on with it. But I think that was just a little part of my subconscious that might have been sitting there that I felt I hadn't quite dealt with it, but I felt I had. So it was a bit of a dichotomy going on. But once I took the focus off, off me and, and focused on the presentation and talking to blokes and, and being as positive I can around them, but also, you know, giving them a bit of a tap on the shoulder saying, you need to look after yourself. Come on, this is a tap on the shoulder for you. Then it wasn't about me anymore. And also at the talk, it appears to give blokes permission to come and talk about their experience to a point 
that uh, well, my wife and I, we feel that um, they haven't really talked to anyone else, even though they might be in a support group or a men's shed. It's really, it's just I'm hearing them and they really are talking about their experience, what, what's going on for them, whatever that may be. And it's a strange phenomenon. I thought it was just a one-off, but it seems to happen regularly at these talks. And some blokes are still struggling with, you know, certain side effects. And I just find that strange that they haven't been picked up or I haven't sought assistance. So I guess it's out there making the general public aware about taking care of your health and well-being. So I make it of a health information. It is about prostate cancer, but you also got to look after your health. And that doesn't mean it's going to stop it happening but you're doing what you can to keep yourself healthy as much as possible so that you have a better quality of life as well. Yeah, exactly. Now, that's a really positive mindset. You're really combining not only, you know, uh, you know, kind of positive outlook, but also saying, hey, you got to look after yourself. And I think that's a real, like, leadership quality, not only just saying, oh, just do this and do that, but you're also saying, well, here is what, you, what we can do better, right? Because yeah. we, we can always do better for ourselves because it's all about uh, looking after yourself in the best way possible, right? Yes, it is. And it's, and, and it's not just cancer, it's just your general health because there's a whole wide range of things that can go pear-shaped if you don't look after your health. And that means, you know, drinking you know, too much alcohol, smoking, being overweight, not exercising, not taking care of yourself uh, emotionally, not seeking assistance when you want, uh, well, not when you want, when you need to. So you're right, it's the, it's the health information, which can become a bit boring to blokes. Oh, here we go again, you know, alcohol, smoking, blah, blah, blah. But I turn around and go, well, if you don't, you may end up in this situation where basically if you end up with prostate cancer, your sex life is going to be affected and you're going to have to deal with incontinence, two things blokes do not think about. But as I say to blokes, one in four men over 40 are having erectile dysfunction and don't talk to the GPs. And I think it's similar numbers for men over 40 with um, incontinence issues that they may not talk about. So if you think you've got that little problem, wait till you get prostate cancer. <laughs> <laughs> you think you've got a problem now. So, <laughs> But it's... The whole health thing is a good analogy. The um, men's sheds have this great uh, diagram of a car chassis and all the components, and they uh, equate each component to a major body organ. So it's keeping your system healthy. So modern cars now, when you turn the press the button or turn the key, everything lights up, system check, and then it's good to go, whereas they used to rely on dials and stuff, which you knew to keep an eye on. So it's the same approach. You look after your body as if it's a Ferrari. You've got to put good oil and good uh, suspension on it and look after the tyres and you don't take it down to some corner garage, nothing's wrong with a corner garage, but you take it to <laughs> someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so <clears throat> you treat your body like a Ferrari, you look after it so it'll keep running for the next 90 or 100 years or however you want to live. Yeah, exactly. And I love this analogy because that also means that, you know, to, to take it one step further, that means you got to service it regularly, right? Yeah, correct. you got to service it. That means, <laughs> you know, Yes, you can have some alcohol, but um, after over 40, the liver doesn't like alcohol. It turns into a poison. But, you know, everything in moderation, basically. And if you're fit, reasonably fit and doing some regular exercise, it does help you mentally. And that's part of this whole mental health issue that's out there in the community, that um, being physically fit, and that's going to be hard for some people who aren't feeling up to it, but you've got to find the one that suits you. And I say to blokes, Maybe you need a variety of physical exercise to do and widen your repertoire of eating habits. Uh, as we get older, some of us can start that we're just the same old, same old. I mean, 
here in Melbourne, as you know, Jackie, you could go out probably every night and never eat the same type of cuisine. So you can do the same thing at home. Exactly. So. And you know, Alan, I never thought I would be eating kale, and here I am. You know? <laughs> <laughs> of course, quickly fried in oil, just quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, one thing that I, I found is after going through like a really personal transformation physically, you know, going yeah. and, and doing exercise and eating better, and, you know, I hadn't had like a you know, fantastic exercise physiologist help me with that. And also uh, incredible ladies who are doing eating better after cancer. I'll actually put all those links into our interview again. But it, all of those things have really changed the way that I feel. I have so much more energy to do that as well. I think that's like if there ever is a positive side effect. Yes, <laughs> you know, having, having more energy to do what you want to do in your life. That's huge, right? Yes, it is. And it's interesting to see. And look, I'll, I'll say it's a judgment for some blokes I've seen have had prostate cancer, don't seem to um, get the message. You know, you look and you go, you're still a bit overweight. You could lose that. You know, it's not going to help you down the line if it does come back. But everyone makes their own decision and it's their journey. It's not up to me to, you know, be there and point them in the right road or in the right direction all I can do is make suggestions and it's uh, at the end of the day a person has to make their own decision and they could be grappling with other stuff as well but I guess at the talks it's just to remind them as a saying you've only got one life and this is not a dress rehearsal so you want the best out of it and there are things you can do about it if you're willing and anything takes effort it's not going to happen someone's not going to serve up the platter or go and do your three kilometer walk for you tomorrow morning you've got to get out and do that so you don't have to give up the good things in life just do it in moderation then you enjoy it more so i guess that's what people want out of life where they're at absolutely alan so and if somebody wanted to find out more about yourself and your book as well what would they do well just talking to my book here it is <laughs> we've lost my prostate mate uh, the website is www.theprostatezone.com or punch in Alan White at the Prostate Zone. Uh, the website will come up. You can um, see what I've been doing. Uh, actually, you can just put in your um, request your email address. We don't send you anything. It's just so you can access the first couple of chapters of the book that you can read for free and you can go, no, I'm not interested in that. Oh, yes, I need to read more. And also I have links to a colleague's uh, website, uh, website slash um, webinars I've done with her. That's Victoria Cullen. And her website is a touchy subject. <laughs> and there's a series of webinars which are really good for men and women to watch about dealing with you know, just the prostate cancer stuff and for couples as well. So it's useful. And at the moment, I'm still you know, out giving talks about the uh, research trial that at Peter Mac called Navigate. So that becomes part of a, dis a presentation around my own experience, but also the importance of men being aware of the Navigate trial as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today, Alan. I really appreciate it. And thank you for what you do in the world. I think that's just so huge. Well, you're doing a great job too. I mean, you and I have a bit of similarities. We've both got a hand solo, I believe, haven't we? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a commonality there. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. <laughs> yes, and solo, yes. It's been great talking to you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Same here. Thank you, Alan. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. Hey, my friend, this is Joe Bakmutsky, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast and author of Simplify Cancer, man's guide to navigating the everyday reality of cancer. Listen, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. 
because I know that your time is precious. And also because I know that you're going into a rough time. Because I know that one way or another, cancer is already a part of your life. There's a lot going on and you've got a lot to deal with. And frankly, like this experience has taught me anything. Is that like you and me know that the reality is that no one is as invested in your own happiness and your way of life as you are yourself. So you got to do the best that you can to have the life that you want, the life that you deserve despite cancer. And I'm here to help. So I want to take a minute to just tell you a little bit about what I've got for you, my friend, and how I can help you. I've got the tools on my website, all free for you. I've got the first visit oncologist checklist. This is a one-page PDF with all the key questions you want to be asking your specialist, whether that's your oncologist, whether that's your surgeon, your hematologist, your urologist, whoever that is, right? It helps you to guide the conversation and make sure that you don't forget important things to ask. And I know that's easy to do because there's so much going on. It's just a simple one-page PDF, print it out, take it with you, and there's even room to make notes. So this is the first visit oncologist checklist, and that's available under the tools section on simplifycancer.com. Also, I've got the online community guide, right? Because nothing will help you like getting the perspective of someone who's been down the road before someone who's had your cancer, someone who's, you know, going through your treatment, someone who's had the same, had to make the same kind of decisions, someone who's, you know, had to worry about the same kind of side effects. So you want to be able to connect to these people because they know exactly what it's like and they want to help. And the best way to do that is connect with them online, on online forums. And these forums, they're just really online communities. Right, where you can just post questions and get them answered. You know, ASAP, because people just post that all the time. You know, it's going to really help you tremendously. And to make it all easier for you, I've put it all together into an online community guide. Again, my friend, available absolutely free under the tools section on simplifycancer.com. It's got the top three online cancer communities for most cancers. So just go in, find the one you want, or use all three, and connect with people. Ask questions, and people will help you out. There's another great resource. Another one is Cancer Outcome Map. This will help you to work through specific worries that you have. Because isn't it true that when you have cancer, it's like everything just throws you off. You could be having a headache and you're instantly going, I mean, is it cancer? Is it growing? Has it spread? Or is this some sort of a side effect? Or is this like something else altogether? So this is a simple tool that will help you to work through it. It will help you to visualize what's going on and work through it step by step so you can look at it in a calm, rational way, assess the situation, and then decide what to do next. Again, I put all the examples there. It's so easy to use, my friend. So just pick it up and use it right away. The other thing I've got for you is simplify testicular cancer. This is if you've got testicular cancer, just go to simplifytc.com. And I've got 
uh, you know, some fantastic resources for you. I've done a bunch of videos where I answer the most pressing questions that you have or you might have if you have testicular cancer. You know, what is the treatment like? What are the treatment options? Will I be able to have kids? Will I be able to have sex? And what is that going to be like? I answer all the questions because I've been through it. I know what it's like. And I'm here to share this with you to help you out. So also on Simplify TC, I've got all the tools there in one place. Uh, I've got the emails that you can send to your family and friends to make sure that you can get the support that you want on your terms. So it's all there for you, my friend. And also, I, I you should get my book, right? You should totally get Simplify Cancer, Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. Because it's got all the strategies that you need to, to deal with the craziness and the stress and the uncertainty that comes with cancer. I'll walk you through it step by step because I've created this book in order you know, really to have a conversation with someone who's been there. In this book, I share exactly the things that have worked for me and things that I would have done differently knowing what I know now. So go ahead and grab yourself the book. If you go to simplifycancerbook.com. Once again, that's simplifycancerbook.com. And I've got some, you know, some incredible free gifts to go with this book. You know, just type it in, go to simplifycancerbook.com and I'll gonna tell you all about it. Once again, my friend, I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast, tuning into the Simplify Cancer podcast. I'm here to help. Once again, this is Joe Bakmutsky, host of the Simplify Cancer podcast and author of Simplify Cancer, Man's Guide to Navigating the Everyday Reality of Cancer. I know it's tough, my friend, but I'm here for you. You can do this. You can get through it and have the best life that you want, the life that you truly deserve despite cancer. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.